Hey, Serious Writers, this is Bethany. Just wanted you to know that we have full permission from Kyle's wife, Patty, to share the stories that he shared, not me, that he shared in this episode around minute 16. So don't hate us. Don't leave us. It's really funny. And if it happens to you, you're not alone. All right. Thanks for listening. And here we go. This is Serious Writer. Tomorrow's big names start here. Welcome back to the Serious Writer Podcast. I'm Kyle Young, and I'm here with... Bethany Jett. Hi. Bethany Jett. Hi, Bethany. We're going to have a little fun this episode. That's uh, that's what we're doing. So uh, we've come up with some interesting factoids, tidbits, you could say, on uh, the writing world. So I'm going to just share some. Maybe you can share some. Um, and we found these just by searching the internet because the internet has all kinds of crazy stuff in it. So... Uh, I want to share the ones that I find interesting. Now, Edith Stilwell reportedly liked to lie in an open coffin before she began her day's writing. That, or Edith Sitwell, I think she, <laughs> she must not have sat well. Or, oh my God. She must have liked to lay well because uh, in the coffin. But I don't know what Edith Sitwell wrote. Do you know? Yes, I just looked her up. So she is famous for po- the poetry that she wrote um and she was born in 1887 and so i just i think that's interesting like who starts the day by laying in a coffin like that's one how do you like for i would just my practical thing is how do you climb in and out of the coffin is it on the floor like is it on one of those wheelie carts like i'd be worried about tipping it over and then being stuck in it so i don't know like <laughs> edith must have had a good plan because she did it every day but i prefer to start my day with a cup of coffee same so not about you but maybe tomorrow open coffin i don't know so (laughs) definitely (laughs) definitely weird i mean another weird we hear frederick von schiller kept rotten apples in his desk claiming he needed the scent of their decay to help him write that's weird like do you need the scent of death and decay to help you write your books well i mean i don't know what he wrote but you talked about this in your class on binge writing about um he wrote the sound candle. of music. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> horrified. You talked about lighting candles and things like to get like in the in the mood and inspiration for for what you're writing. So maybe. Well, I guess, could, yeah. Maybe he had to go there. Yeah, that's. Let's see. Uh, he's a poet, a playwright, historian, German guy. Um, I guess, like for poetry, you got to do weird stuff to be able to write poetry. I mean, I'm a poet, but I never laid in a coffin or smelled decay so um yeah so that's that's interesting here's one so graham green which is really henry graham green and he was an english writer and journalist and according to wikipedia (laughs) um was regarded by many as one of the leading english novelists of the 20th century so here's something about him so um he this isn't crazy about coffins and decaying apples but we've talked right. about how many words you write per day. And it says that he would write 500 words a day and stop in the middle of a sentence. Like once he hit 500, that was it. No matter where. My, my thing is, are, is, was he literally counting every word? Well, that's like, what I was thinking. Like, like that was before computer. So like a computer would tell me how many words I wrote, but like, you'd have to like count them over and over again. Yeah. Like I could write five more words and then I must stop. Um, let's talk about Anthony Trollope. I, have to, I feel like I should know these people. I'm a little embarrassed. I'm wondering if our 
if our audience is thinking we should know who these people are. But um, he began no writing every day yeah. at five thirty, and he would write two hundred and fifty words every fifteen minutes, and he would pace with a watch. So he wasn't counting like the other guy, like stopping at five hundred. But two hundred fifty words every fifteen minutes is two hundred fifteen words every fifteen minutes. That's that's essentially a thousand words an hour. Mm-hmm. But that's probably typing or handwriting. Probably handwriting. I'm gonna look them up. A thousand words an hour would be what? Like, I don't know. I gotta do math today. Last time we did math, it did not go well. Last time I did math, it did not go well. So let's go. Thousand words divided by sixty is sixteen words a minute. I mean, that's that's what I that's what I type with my one finger method. Bing, right. Bing, he was bing. um he was in the Victorian era, so this was definitely handwriting. Handwriting. I mean, that's pretty fast. I guess sixteen words a a minute. It says his best known work is a series of novels known as the Chronicles of Barsetshire, which I'm sure I've like did not pronounce that correctly, but right. Barchester Towers. I don't know. I have no idea. I've not heard of it. Neither. Not heard of it. But more, more interesting <laughs> factoids. I mean, that's that's definitely interesting. I would not stop mid-sentence. That would drive me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, the word mog- mogigraphia. 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 Spell it for us. M-O-G-I-G-R-A-P-H-I-A means writer's cramp. I don't actually know what mogigraphia is or writer's cramp. What is writer's cramp versus writer's block? Now, writer's block is calligraphia. That sounds like something that you're allergic to, Bethany. <laughs> I, I think writer's cramp would probably be like when your hand cramps up from writing. Is it? You think it is? I don't know. I mean, writer's so- cramp is fingers gripping the pen or pencil very hard. Yeah, fingers extended. Yeah, writer's cramp. Focal hand, focal hand dystonia. I this is I'm learning all kinds of stuff. It's basically I would I mean it's it's like your hand gets cramped from writing. Yeah, I guess we don't have writer's cramp because we type now. I remember I used to practice my alphabet all the time, like again before texting and stuff, and you would write notes. And so, well, you may not have done this, Kyle, but like you're the different girls in the class that have like these different ways of writing their A's or you know doing their their print and stuff. So I would like try to copy that and practice my handwriting all the time. So I did suffer from whatever you just said because I would make I would write till my hand hurt. Yeah, a lot of the girls in my classes would get writer's crap by writing like they love Kyle. So, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fiction, we're not going to use this episode at all. Um, it's great. <laughs> but mogographia, I, I didn't, I don't like to write, so mogographia is not a thing. But if you've got mogographia, know that like it's kind of like you know how when people say like, oh my arthritis is, you know, now you can say, oh my mogographia is, you know. Activate. We should put these words on serious writer shirts. Mo, you want to put Mogagraphia on there? <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be a hot seller. Like, <laughs> the hot, this is a hot seller. Like, oh, hashtag am writing, hashtag Mogagraphia. <laughs> like, like, I don't think, I don't think we're going to get any sales. You know, maybe somebody will listen to this podcast, but oh, I want that shirt. Like, I just don't know it's going to be a hot seller. Like, oh, Calligraphia. <laughs> so, like, yeah, like people are like, what does that mean? It does create conversation. Maybe we on the bottom or the back. Ask, ask me. me. Yeah, ask me about my calligraphia. <laughs> it's like if you see it, 
at the grocery store where they ask me about and then they can put whatever they want <laughs> yeah it's like people i'm not going to ask about that might be dead they're deadly i don't know yeah it's true. Uh, <laughs> never killed anyone i don't think that's that's where it's blocked but speaking of calligraphia um i think it's how you say it calligraphia yeah so in another essence of weird dr seuss when he had calligraphia he would go to a secret closet filled with hundreds of hats and wear them till the words came now the interesting thing about this factoid is not i mean i think some people would say what's interesting he would wear all the hats i think it's interesting that he had a secret closet of hats i think that's more interesting than him actually wearing the hats like why do you have a secret closet of hats like why can't you just have a non-secret you know a known closet of hats like did his wife not know about this closet of hats was it like like how did it, no one know it were were his right. hats so secret that he no one could ever know about them how did he decide to do that that's my question I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to search the internet for Dr. Seuss's secret closet. <laughs> I don't know, it's probably not wise. Okay, so while you're doing that, let's talk about Agatha Christie, who I love. I have read so many books by her, but she suffered from dysgraphia, which meant that when she wrote, it wasn't legible. So she had to dictate her novels. Oh, yeah. That There's a lot somebody of else had to write that. And again, this is before computers and voice to text right well interesting there's an article in collectors weekly called dr seuss the mad hatter a peek inside his secret closet will you put that in the chat and then we'll get it in the show notes for everybody yeah if you want <laughs> if you want to check out the secret closet of hats they actually so one of the hats he had was the cat in the hats hat that was an actual really? hat in his closet yeah no way that's pretty amazing that's he had, really like, cool I, like you can see that some of the hats in the books are actual hats that he had in his closet. Oh, here, here we go. In Dr. Seuss's home, I got, I got an answer. I, we, I don't care about the interesting factors. Now I'm, I'm down the secret closet <laughs> hole here. So in Dr. Seuss's home, a bookcase opens up with a false door and behind it are literally hundreds of hats that he collected and all these paintings from throughout his life that they never showed to anybody. They were stored together inside his closet. And it's a really nice relationship between the hats and the paintings because the hats in many cases inspired the characters and the paintings they all live together behind this secret door it's really amazing that's i want to go see this in real life where is it i think it's at his dr seuss's house where is you know does it say where that is um i think he lives somewhere in the northeast didn't he okay that's really fun they're currently on the exhibition a lot of his hats 26 of his hats are on exhibition and they're traveling around the country. Um, he had a Baroque Czech helmet, a plastic toy Viking helmet with horns. Could you imagine Dr. Seuss just sitting in a secret <laughs> closet wearing a Viking helmet, just thinking? Um, I think this gives all of us license to do this. <laughs> he's just like, listen, you, we all need our secret closet of hats. Like, that's it's some. It's actually a sombrero. sombrero. Um, it's really interesting. Like, if you see the hats in the closet, you, they actually show similar paintings that he had used the hats for inspiration that's wild he even wrote a book called the 500 hats of bartholomew cubbins really like he loved his hats 
Well, I, I just I never would have thought that Dr. Seuss would have had a secret closet of hats. But now now, you know, if you've ever wondered anything interesting about Dr. Seuss, this is the most interesting thing I've ever heard. OK, this is the most interesting fact I've heard all month. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I'm not going to lie. There are a lot other other fascinating things we can share. But that one, that one, I sorry, I went down the rabbit hole. That was the winner right there, I think. That was the winner. We got others. Um, so here, here's what I like because I'm you know I'm a big I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Yep. J.R.R. Tolkien. He thought there were no new stories, which he thought everything came from a cauldron of story, which writers dipped into as they write. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I essentially funny. think the underlying story, you could find a million different ways to tell the same story. I can set it in our space, I can set it in the future, in the past. Um, I can change it to be cats and dogs, but ultimately I think there is, I don't think there's any new story. We may create all kinds of new wild and crazy and insane things, but they all, the essence of them go back to the same basic stories. And I would say that we, we thousands of years of stories. I don't, I would agree that there's a culture of story that people dip into and they find different ways to paint. It's like, it's like, maybe it's all like red paint. And you can find different ways to take that red paint and make all kinds of beautiful paintings with it. But it's still red paint. Yes. I don't know why I picked red paint. But <laughs> currently in my screen, I'm looking at a lot of red behind me. So red just must be subconsciously <laughs> the color. You can have so, red paint in your coffin in the mornings. Yes. <laughs> try on some hats. Yes. Um, so that, you know, that was what, and here's one that's not so weird. Ernest Hemingway and Truman Capote both sharpened their pencils to help them think with their writing. I think a lot of people have done that. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. back when we wrote with pencils, I think that sharpening your pencil is just really satisfying. Well, I, I bet, I bet a lot of people that listen to this would agree. That first mark on the paper with it, you know, where like a little bit of the shaving comes off because you've gotten it to that like perfect point to where it goes right. down. Like, yes. And it's like a fresh and you start. break it. You're like, no, and you have to do it all over again. Yeah. yeah. Here's one for then, you. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Joseph Conrad, author of Heart of Darkness. I have not read. Have you read? Heart of Darkness. I, I have not read the Heart, Heart of Darkness. This guy mm -hmm. avoided reading reviews of his work. And instead of reading the review, he would measure the review with a ruler. And it's the, the, so instead of reading what was said, if it was a long review, he felt good about it. It was a short review he didn't so yeah well that's true because like if you emotionally make someone respond either good or bad both mean that they have spent a lot of time thinking about your book so i guess yeah we should do that on amazon <laughs> how many yeah. lines is it four forget it <laughs> well as an agent i find this interesting okay mm -hmm. typomania do you know what typomania is nope it denotes a mania for writing for publication. Ooh. I know people who are typomaniacs. Now that's a word we could put on a shirt. Yes, I'm a typomaniac, which means uh, they have a mania <laughs> for writing for publication. That's their goal. That's their drive, right? Like I want to write to be published. Um, I'm a typomaniac. That we that we could put on a shirt. I don't I know like if that's that. a good thing though. Technically, I don't know if the underlying term typomania is a good thing. Um, I don't, it's not like you're writing for the love of writing. It's like writing for the, the thrill of being published. Yeah. Okay. Typo there are, there are typo maniacs. 
or type of maniac, type mania. Well, they know this is all kinds of all type racing. Oh, there's all, I'm down another rabbit hole. I'm, I'm going to get off that. Well, <laughs> so, here's one. <laughs> Ready? Bibliosmia. <laughs> it's B-I- I feel like that. I feel like you haven't said that right. B-I-B-L-I-O-S-M-I-A. Bibliosmia. Bib- that sounds more like it. Um, it's the act of smelling books, like getting, it's as getting a fix from Okay. That. I'll be honest with you. I have went to a bookstore before and took a deep whiff of a new Yes. Book. I had uh, my son at the bookstore last week and you just walk in and it's the smell of the, the fresh books, the new books that haven't been opened yet. And then the library sometimes got that little bit of a musty smell where it's just like, <gasps> these books have been loved and touched and read. And it's just something about that book smell. There's candles that have book smell. The library is the smell of potentially getting COVID from other people touching the books and breathing on them and smelling them, but whatever. Um, My wife, um, (laughs) my wife loves to go to the bookstore because that smell in the bookstore, basically, I probably can't say this. My wife's going to kill me. That's her favorite place to go to the bathroom on road trips is is a Barnes and Noble. No, you don't edit this part. Like it's true. There's a lot of there's a lot of people are gonna be like, yeah, that's true. You smell books. I gotta go. I gotta go. Like I remember, I remember. Listen, this is this is me telling the truth. Like this is me telling the truth. We would drive when we would drive down south. Like we would go from like Ohio through Kentucky. Always about three hours away was Lexington, Kentucky, and like there is a beautiful like what is it like? Um, I think it's like Man of War Drive or something like that. Great Barnes and Noble right there. And you just knew we go there. Bathroom time. So like we always try to stop. So like we can find a Barnes and Noble. I actually had stuff at my house there. said like I was going to go to Barnes and Noble. It's like, oh, you needed to take a potty break. I'm like, nope. Patty wasn't with me. Um, so, yep. Sorry. Sorry, podcast. This, this is this. I'm telling you a little bit too much about my personal life here. <laughs> But you know that smell. That smell makes people feel comfortable, right? It relaxes you. I think. I think it, this bibliosmia, whatever it is, bibliosmia. Yep, bibliosmia means makes you gotta go. Have you seen Seinfeld? Have you watched those? No. Is that is that what on there? Well, George is in a bookstore and takes a book into the bathroom, and then they make him buy it. It's like two hundred dollars, and then he can't return it because it's been marked as having gone into the bathroom. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. We just lost our four followers. We lost it. We lost it. There's a phenomenon. There's an actual phenomenon. No joke. It's called the Mariko Aoki phenomenon. It's the smell of paper or ink having a laxative effect. The association with reading on the toilet at home and the posture of browsing, making bowel movement easier. No joke. I never knew there was a term for that. May Mar- Mariko Aoki. Man, I am. I will memorize that next time I'm on a road trip. It's time for Mariko Aoki. That could be on your shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna be honest with you. If I put that on a shirt, people are gonna be like, "Yes, yes, that is uh, that's me." I'm a- serious, <laughs> serious writer. <laughs> The land of Mayorki, Mariko Aoki. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, we're done. We're done. I'm sorry, people. I have thrown this into chaos by just being honest. I mean, it's just being real. Talk about writing, talking about 
these books. <laughs> the smell of it. We did it. We did it. Fit. Let's let's. We'll do one more. I'll get one more. I'll get one more to to clear us out from my um taking us down the wrong path here. I uh <laughs> so let me find a really good one. I like this one. Let's go back to my my guy J.R.R. Tolkien. All right. Um, this was interesting. J.R.R. Tolkien and the famous C.S. Lewis, both majorly loved uh, by millions and hundreds of millions of people, probably. They held competitions <laughs> to see who could read the longest excerpt of bad romantic novelist Amanda McKittrick Ross without laughing. Now, I don't know about you. I want, I want to read. I want to try this sometime. I saw that as well. I, I want to read like her her what bad novels. Name again? This is horrible. I feel like she's really getting dragged by two very famous right. authors. But what is her name? We'll go down this road. We'll have to Amanda away. McKittrick Ross. She's got a two star review. <laughs> on she has fifty two reviews on Goodreads. Two point two stars. And so like she might have been she might have been a bad author. Like she doesn't have a lot of good reviews. Um. Yeah, she wrote notorious for purple prose, or I think purple prose that is almost incomprehensible. Here we go. I got, I got, I got a whole thing about it here. Uh, I want to, you want to, you want to hear an excerpt from her? I was trying <laughs> to find one. Readers, did you hear of Mickey Monkey Face McBlear? His snout is long with a flattish top, lined inside with a slimy crop. His mouth, like a slit in a monkey box, portrays his kindred to a fox. That's from Amanda McKittrick Ross from Poems of Puncture. Yeah. So, yeah, Erpel Prose, not Purple Prose, Erpel Prose. And what is Erpel? So the Inklings, which is a group of, of authors with J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they had a game, and when they would read her works aloud and see who could not l laugh. Yeah. So according to yourdailypoem.com, there's a little bit of information on her. And she lived from 1860 to 1939. And she is an Irish writer. She holds the dubious distinction of being called by critics one of the world's worst poets due to flamboyant, flowery prose, overuse of alliteration, and convoluted phrasing. But she has a lot of people who really like her stuff. Right. <clears throat> and her works are... This, this is according to yourdailypoem.com says um, they're now handsomely priced collector's items. Really? Yes. Well, that's because everybody that she's been made famous by by that. Yeah. This um, one of her poems is in the public domain. It's called "On Visiting Westminster Abbey," and I'll read you the first. Holy Moses. My my sister-in-law says sweet Moses. <laughs> made me think of that. <laughs> Holy Moses. So Flesh to yeah. every nook, some rare bits of brain lie here, mortal loads of beef and beer. Yeah, I'm it's definitely I can see why why they would want to read this for comedic effect. So but I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting. I might check it up more. So uh if you want to be like the inklings, download a man of McKittrick Ross and read some out loud, see if you laugh. I don't know. It might it might be lost in hundreds of years of time difference, or, you know, 150 years time difference. The humor might be lost, but it's an interesting thing to know about J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And with that and all the Maruki Aoki and all that, uh, it's probably time to finish this episode and 
and go to a next one. Well, so thanks for listening, <laughs> Bethany. Thanks for being here on comments. this episode of the Serious Writer Podcast. My wife is going to kill me, so I may not be on the next one, but we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.